Well, good morning. Like I said, my name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here. I specifically serve as the life group pastor. Part of what that means is I am at Wilsonville sometimes, I'm at Westland sometimes. You've been hearing about Gladstone, so I'm going to be helping them figure out what on earth is a life group, what does that mean. And one of the things I get to do is when we talk about our identity as a church and we talk about the fact that we connect, I'm the guy that gets to do the connect sermon every, every time, every time. Years now I've been doing this. So that's what we're doing this morning. Do you remember the last time you started a new job or maybe, maybe if you haven't had a job in a while, maybe engaged some, some new ministry or done something? It, it seems like that first week or that first day or those first couple days is spent learning the rhythms of the job, learning the language of the job, learning the vocabulary of the job the acronyms of the different reports you're supposed to fill out. That When I started, I'm a, I'm a full-time account manager for a mechanical contractor. In the first week of that job, I went up to Seattle to the corporate headquarters, the mothership as they, they call it, and for two days, they are dumping all this language into me. They're talking about the WIP reports and the POC reports and the production reports and the receiving logs and the write-ups and the 1S, and I, I have no idea what they're talking about. And all of this time is spent giving me the language of this company so that when I'm talking to other employees of this company, we're talking the same language. When I say, when they say the WIP report, the WIP report, I know what they're talking about because someone told me this is, this is the report we do every week and we work through this thing. Oh, okay. And, and what happens when I'm, we're given this language, we can work quickly, I don't have to spend a lot of time asking explanation for what they're saying because I know that these are the tools we use in this place, in this, this business to do these things. New Life Church has some similar type of ideas. We have some language that we have put together to help people simply understand what the church does. The difference for us in comparison to the business is the business makes all this stuff up so that they can quickly and efficiently make a widget or quickly and efficiently and profitably provide a service. That, that's, not, that's not what the church does. We, we put the language together so that we can simply help people understand this is what the church does. These are the things the church does. This is what a church is. These ideas, we didn't invent them. We didn't come up with them. These ideas are in this book, the Bible. That's why there's Bibles in front of you. That's why you brought a Bible. You guys know the church is about the Bible. And... Because we have the Bible, our mission is set. We don't get to make up a mission statement. We don't get to come up with something new that the church is going to do in 2019 that it hasn't been doing since A.D. 34. We don't get to be unique in our mission. The church's mission is to make disciples. That's always the mission. That is the game plan. We can say that in varying ways, in varying cultures. We can say that differently. But any mission of any true church is to make disciples. That's what they do. The way we say that here is that we engage those disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That's our way of saying we make disciples. We tell people about Jesus. That is our mission statement. That is our way of saying we have the same mission as every other church that has been trying to love Jesus since the beginning. And in our, in, in our little identity book, it has the mission statement. It also has several ways of describing the actions of the church, what we do here as a church. Often you will see shorthand versions 
of those identity ideas on the bulletin. Uh, on the bulletin, you can see uh, connect, serve, engage, delight, or you'll see them on the, the PowerPoint screen. Several key words, and for the next several weeks, we are going to be explaining three of those words. Delight, connect, and engage. And again, these are not, these are not branding taglines. These are not, um, it's like we hired a, a, a marketing, a marketing firm, like, can you come up with something really good? Yeah, you guys should connect. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. They're, they're not branding taglines. It's not marketing. This is just the language we use to quickly describe the action of the church of Jesus. These are things that we do as a church. So for the next three weeks, we will be reminded, if you've been here for a while, you're going to be reminded of what we do as a church. Or if the church is new to you, if you're sitting here going, I don't know what the church does, then you can learn for the first time what the church does. So open up your Bibles. We're going to be in First Peter. That's towards the very end of the book, um, probably within about 30 pages of the end. And First Peter um, is going to be a, is, is a letter where we are going to explain these three terms. Now, we could have picked many books in the New Testament to help us explain what the church does, but this time we're going to use First Peter for this short topical type series, um, because usually, usually we walk through a book. If you've been here for a while, you know that we pick a book and we walk through it passage by passage and explain and preach from a book of the Bible until we're done, then we go to another book. And once we're done with this short little three-week series, we're going to jump into First Peter. So we're going to get a little kickstart out of it. Um, so this morning we're going to look at connect in the language of First Peter, in the language of the letter Peter wrote to fellow Christians um, a long, long time ago. And by looking at that, we're going to see that the gospel-formed community is a distinct community pointing to the work of Christ. Let me read from the two, pa- the two passages of First Peter. The first one is in First Peter chapter 1, verses 22, and I'm going to add 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of of God's varied grace. Throughout these passages, Peter describes and assumes much about the community that is formed by the gospel. As we walk through, we will see the gospel-formed community described, and then later on we're going to talk about the gospel-formed community practiced. What do we do? So we start in chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This passage starts with an idea. Perhaps we understand. Perhaps it sounds a little bit familiar to you. The purification of our souls by your obedience to the truth. If you spent any time in modern Christianity... Anytime in the Christian, Christian culture, this seems to fit the basics, right? Give your life to Christ, obey and turn around and follow Jesus. Salvation is the purification of the soul that comes with the obedience to the truth. We heard at the beginning of First Peter, at the beginning of the service, 
There is great truth, good news in that verse. The mercy of God to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And simply defined, a Christian is someone who says, yes, Jesus' Jesus's resurrection is true. There is mercy and hope because of Jesus. I agree and I am with Jesus. At its most basic, that's what a Christian is. But Peter continues in this sentence, obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Salvation is not individualistic. Salvation happens to an individual, yes, certainly. But Christianity is not something individualistic. We are saved into, purified into, welcomed into community. And, and Peter says this brotherly love. We are saved into a family. Often, in our postmodern context, you hear people saying, I don't need church for Christianity. I don't need the church to be a Christian. Which to some degree is to say, I don't need the community of Christians to be a Christian. I don't need the people of God to belong to the people of God. That's, that's silly. That doesn't make any sense. Peter says you've been saved into for a brotherly love. You're into a family. You're connected to a family now. The good news of the gospel is not an individual good news that people enjoy to their own benefit alone in their house or sitting on their couch. The gospel is God purifying the souls of former rebels by his death on the cross and resurrection so that he can make a people into a family. A family that's full of brotherly love. A people for whom he can be their God. Salvation is into community. And there is, there is satisfaction in that. There is a deep joy in that. We belong to a family. We have a community of the people of God. We have connection now to God. I have a friend in my life group who it's from he has a horribly broken family. If he talks on the phone, that's usually more of a depressing conversation than a happy conversation with his family. It's broken. There's no encouragement there, there's no help there. And his line at life group is this is my family. This is my family. This life group is my family. Then he's right. I've seen people get baptized And in the act of connecting to Jesus, they've had to give up their family, their earthly family. And what do they say? This this is my family. The church is my family. God is my father. And they are right. He is right. We are connected to community. We are connected to something far bigger than just the people we were born into. We're connected into a family. This is not just sentimental adoption. I like you guys, so you're my family. There is a real sense that we are the family of God. We share relation with God together. We have the same Father. That's what's going on. That's why we have brotherly love. Peter continues, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter is reminding this group of believers what they ought to do in community. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This type of love, I have to describe love because we don't do love very well anymore, right? We don't know what love is. We think love now is just affection or some type of draw. 
Love here revolves around righteous relationships based on God's character. This is love based on God's character. And the character of God is such that he sacrifices himself for the good and service of others. That is the gospel. So when Peter says, love one another earnestly, love one another like God loved you. That's sacrifice. That's service. That's doing something you may not actually want to do. I need, I need the gospel that is portrayed in God's love to me. It is only if the gospel is true that I can love this way. I can love earnestly from a pure heart. I need God to do that. I need the Holy Spirit to show up and change me so that I can love that way. And all these things are present in the community of the people of God. In the, in the community formed together because the gospel is true. There is family, true family relationship and power and the catalyst to love others. Have you ever leaned into, into doing something you really don't want to do or, or you're not comfortable doing? When you don't really want to because you're tired or tapped out, but you decide to lean in and love someone anyway. I have found that it's in those moments that God often helps me and gives me what I need to love in those situations. It's, it's getting the phone call in the middle of the night and saying, all right, God, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I want to go to sleep, but I'm going to say yes to this late night emergency room visit. I'm going to make this phone call that I don't really, I don't really want to have this conversation, but I'm going to lean in and love earnestly. I'll make, I'll make this phone call, I'll do this communication. Or I'll host that person I don't really want to host. Or I'll let that person sleep on my couch. God shows up and allows me to love another in those situations. Allows me to love earnestly because the gospel is true. Because something has indeed happened that has changed history. And those examples, those are not, oh, Eric's a pastor so he has those type of examples. None of those happened because I was a pastor. Those happened because I was in community and I was alongside people that needed someone to show up with them in the emergency room in the middle of the night. Someone needed a couch to sleep on. God gives us the ability to love earnestly. And Peter reminds us that that is what we do. The community of God loves earnestly. He continues talking about the why behind this kind of love. In verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Two things here. First, if you are in the community of God, you have been born again. There is life again. There is new life. Ah, now we know why the church is named New Life. There is new life in those who have the gospel. God has shown up and done something greater than our original lives. The good news is that in dying and resurrecting, Jesus has something new that he offers us. Jesus is breaking into our present broken lives and giving us life that is imperishable, inextinguishable, unquenchable, never ending. We have all been born, you guys know this, you've all been born, but that, that is perishable, that's temporary. That's a failing life. We all live in an existence where entropy rules the day. Things fall apart. 
decay inevitably sets in. These bodies will die. But the resurrection of Jesus is good news because it is proof that Jesus had restore, has restored life in such a full and comprehensive way that he can give us new life that will not perish. This changes everything. It most certainly changes the way I think about life in general because now my life is not simply a run of 70 years or so on this track and then I'm done but instead a life that will be attached to Jesus' resurrected life and will never, ever end. Because Jesus' resurrected body, the life he lives in that body is imperishable, and I am in him. I too will have a life connected to a resurrected body and one that cannot be touched by death or decay or entropy. That's That's huge. That's why we have to use language like born again. Something so dramatic has happened. We have been born again. And because of that, our lives are not simply, as the the phrase would say, nasty, brutish, and short, but now tied into the glorious forever. That changes life at the individual level and at the community level. The church is a new life community, a group of people who all share in this life in Jesus And because of this born-again life, we can do things like love one another earnestly with a pure heart, not for ambition or gain or future favors, but because we share in Jesus, the imperishable life. Something new and distinct that is not like any other group of people. No other group of people in all the world has a type of community like this. The world is broken, and those with new life, Christ-given life, form a community that points to the gospel, points to the Jesus in whom we all have a share, points to the Jesus who changes life, our life. And secondly, Peter talks about the means of hearing this message. He says, through the living and abiding word of God. At its most basic, the living and abiding word of God is the gospel, the good news, the, the, the word that Jesus has done something in history. The word, words of God are the beginning of this type of life, this type of community, and they're in this book. It is to those words, Peter is saying, you were told these great words, and it is through them that you responded to the truth and are born again. Because you heard about what Jesus did, you heard those words, you responded, you turned to Jesus, and you're born again. This book is full of the words of God, full of the gospel, full of the good news, and the community of those attached to Christ are rooted in this book. The words of hope are captured in this book. The words of what Christ has done are captured in this book. The good news that God is making himself a people, a living and resurrected people out of the broken and dying world is captured in this book. And the gospel community, the born-again community, the gospel-formed community, we love the words of God. We need the words of God. So at the beginning of this letter, Peter references and admonishes the community as familial, loving, born-again, and attached to the word. And at the end of the letter, he references the community again. So let's, let's read that. Back to chapter 4, 
verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. That is fantastic language. That's, I feel like Tolkien tried to tap into that type of stuff, right? The end of all things is at hand. Peter knows, and the community of Christ knows, but we sometimes need to be reminded, that the end of all things is at hand. The completion, the culmination of everything is just around the corner. We sit in an age, in an epoch, that represents a dramatic shift in all reality compared to the rest of history. Why is it different? Why is there a shift? Because God showed up. Christ Jesus showed up proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And Christ died and did not stay dead, but God raised him from the dead. And that resurrection was groundbreaking. That resurrection changes everything. That resurrection proclaims that for not much longer shall this broken earth sit as it does. No longer shall heaven and earth be separated. The place where God dwells from the place where man dwells. No longer shall the curse of sin and death affect every aspect of what we experience. The resurrection of Jesus is a clarion call that the beginning of the end has come. That the story will find its completion. That the completion of this story is imminent. Just around the corner. The end of all things is at hand. We live in a time now where we know that the end of all things has been put into motion. Christ has started something. Christ has been here and now we anticipate. We are an expectant community knowing the return is coming. The King is coming. Heaven and earth are coming together. Consummation is coming. Restoration is coming. The one who makes all things new, his return is at hand. And thus the culmination of all things is at hand. And Peter says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter reminds the community, keep your wits about you. We know what is about to happen. We know what is at hand. We know it's just around the corner. But the warning is reasonable because sometimes we live in a way that is out of control and kind of drunk-minded. He says, be sober-minded. We live kind of drunk-minded sometimes. You have seen that happen. We're looking for the return of Jesus and we get so focused on it's right around the corner that we start looking for it in major news events. We're glued to the TV. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's going to happen right now. Start living as a prepper full of worry or forgetting to live well here and now is a representation of the kingdom because God can come any day. I may as well just sit here and do nothing and wait for him to show up. No, that's dumb. Don't do that. We can easily drift between complacency and mania. And Peter is telling this expectant community to instead be level-headed so you can pray well. So you can talk to God well. Keep the full truth in mind. So you can look at the world and walk through the world in a sober way. So you can pray 
well. You can talk to God well. That is another aspect of this community. They know the king is coming and they can talk to the king. And the king listens. God the Father listens. The Holy Spirit listens. Gospel community, born again community, new life community is characterized by prayer, by talking to God. This is a praying community. We've been praying all month for this possible adoption with Gladstone, right? Are they going to be part of us, do the same things we do? We've been praying, God, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. We don't know how to do this. We don't have the wisdom on our own to do this. We need your help. We're a praying community. And a community, between that spectrum of of mania and complacency, a community helps us remember what is true and helps us stay level-headed. Whichever way we tend to lean, the community of Christ can remind us and jump in to tell us truth. Maybe you're the one that thinks, I'm just going to check out and be complacent. I'm just going to sit here. And you can run in, well, that, that is not believing the whole truth of the good news of Jesus. He said all authority has been given to him and he told us to go make disciples. That's what the church does. So you can tell that brother or sister in Christ, hey, let's pray together that God would remind us and help us and let's go. Let's go do that while we wait for him to show up. Or maybe you're on, you're on the mania side. I'm freaking out. God is going to come tomorrow. Things seem to be getting really crazy. Chill out. Chill out, bro. God said no one knows the hour and that includes you and the news. No one knows. But he did say, I am with you always. He taught us how to pray. Let's talk to him. Let's, let's calm you down. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help. We are an expectant and sober and praying community. Peter continues, above all, keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, love one another earnestly. Wherever there is a one another, you know a community is being talked about. And this is not, there's more than one end for our love for one another. One of these ends mentioned here, Peter is talking about dealing with sin. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Sin is real and deadly. The curse is far-reaching and each of you have been broken by it. Each of you have been affected by it. Each of you have been tainted by it. And one of the most vicious lies that the devil tells is that sin needs to be worked out on your own. Go sit in the corner, go deal with it on your own, and then when you get all cleaned up, then you can be part of community. No, that's a stinking lie that is only meant to keep you isolated. God, the Holy Spirit, works on killing sin in community. In this community of Christ where this earnest love is, that's where sin is dealt with. That is where sin is covered, dealt with, worked through, mortified, abolished. The gospel-formed community can deal with sin because they have the gospel. Sometimes this is, this is because the sin has an effect on the community. They, they, they can deal with the sin because they see it. It's right here. Someone who continues to gossip or spread rumors or, or half-truths or just hurts people in the community, 
It is an earnest love and a graciousness that can handle the impact of that and also walk up and say, brother, sister, those words you say are not building up. They're not loving towards us. You're hurting me. You're hurting this community. And frankly, you're living like you don't remember what the gospel is. We are the community of the gospel and the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for even this sin. And you do not need to walk in it anymore. You don't need to do this anymore. I want to walk with you and pray that the Holy Spirit would kill this thing in, in you. Can we walk together? Love covers a multitude of sins. Or maybe it is the sin you have been hiding in shame for weeks or months or years. Hidden sin is the heaviest weight on your shoulders. And the enemy of Jesus, the enemy of his community, would love nothing more than for you to keep it hidden and feel isolated and alone as though you were the only one to ever engaged such a thing. It's just not true. Those are lies. And in community, gospel-formed community, where earnest love resides, even those sins can be shared. Addiction that you hold or hurt, sin that someone else has done to you, actions you have done that are stuck in the back of your mind, always there lingering, festering. You can share in community and shed light on that sin. And in the light, sin does not flourish. That's truth. And regardless of the magnitude of the sin, the gospel remains true. Your sin cannot break the gospel. Guilt is taken by Jesus. Shame is taken by Jesus. And it is this community that reminds us of that truth over and over and over and over again. Because we forget, because sometimes the lies just seem believable. And we need the love of Christ through his community to remind us that the gospel is true. And in community, gospel-formed community, you can feel the weight leave your shoulders because love covers a multitude of sins. What else does this community do? Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is like a reminder. Guys, you guys forgot. We show hospitality without grumbling. The idea of hospitality is describing the generosity given to strangers so that they become friends. This is often by food or lodging or being with them together, giving something, generosity. In this context, it was likely unknown Christians. They'd be traveling around and they needed a place to stay so the community could feed and lodge them while they traveled. And Peter is frankly reminding them, these Christians, that we show hospitality without grumbling. We are the community that reconciles and shows generosity because we are the people of God who reconciles and shows generosity to us. We have been reconciled and God has been generous to us. So we are that type of people. We are a hospitable people because God is hospitable. And we don't complain while we do it. Yeah, yeah, you can eat at my house. Gosh, I hate it when people come over. They never take their shoes off. They cut into my reading time. I was going to watch that show. I have to get extra food. I have to get, I got, I got to go to the store again to get more food because they ate so much hospitality without grumbling 
And when, when that's the mood, when you are grumbling, sounds like it's time to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help to align your character to the character of God in making strangers into friends. That's what the community of Christ does. And finally, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God is active in his community, in his people, gifting the community what it needs so that it can love and serve the rest of the community. God did not make this thing and then leave it. He continues to grace it, to serve it, and to love it. This means that the gospel-formed community is a varied community full of different people gifted in different ways so that the community is loved and served in all the ways it needs to be loved and served. All of this is grace. God is gracing His community, His church, so that it is served well. God graces His people so they are loved well. This often means that community is full of a bunch of people that don't think or act or look like you. Probably a community of people you probably wouldn't want to necessarily hang out with. God has grabbed a wide-ranging variety of people and they are all part of His community and family. And He doesn't categorize them by age group or hobby. He puts them together in a reconciling way so they can relate together because they have the gospel in common. And out of that varied grace, the the community is loved and served because God graces His people. So throughout this letter, Peter describes a community that is expectant, yet level-headed, praying, sin-covering, hospitable with various people and gifts. And these people are born again through the Word of God and love each other in a family sort of way. Gospel, born again, new life, kingdom awaiting community is not limited to just this letter. This is not an old thing and only an old thing relegated to the past. It is not limited to the original recipients of this letter by Peter. We carry on that type of community here at New Life Church. Peter shows us pictures of gospel community described and directed. Now we As a church, as a community in 2019, we can lean into gospel community practiced. A new life community has been created. The good news of the gospel has occurred. Jesus' death and resurrection changes the trajectory of the world. And a new community now exists because of that reality. That was truth when this letter was written. Mere decades from when it happened after that resurrection of Jesus. And it's true, that same monumental truth is in play here, now, today, at New Life Church. The gospel remains world-changing, community-forming, grace-giving, and we can have our souls purified by obedience to the truth, which is an invitation. Join the community of Christ. He is still active. His return is still imminent, just around the corner. If you are not connected to Jesus, do that today. How do you practice gospel community? You jump in. Connect to Him and be part of His community. And once you're in, because our culture does not naturally do community, we don't know how to do together very well. We have to give ourselves forms to help us get into the habit of community. Sometimes community can happen at a large level. There's a bunch of people in this room right now. Sometimes 
a large group can do community well, but often community tends to best happen in a smaller family-sized group. A group that can meet in a living room or a big living room. Here at New Life Church, we call those little groups, those little family groups, life groups. The place where disciples gather together. And we need a model to practice like the church. We are not perfect. We do not do community perfectly. Nor was the early church, as First Peter clearly shows, they were not perfect either. Because he had to remind them, no, you don't grumble when, you, you're, when you're hospitable. You love one another earnestly. You lean into the gospel, not away from the gospel. He's reminding them of what they're supposed to do, of, what, of who they are. Is what, that's what he's doing. And because it is easy to slip into old habits, old ways of thinking and relating, we need a form we can hold on to. We could have pulled our practices, our ways of doing things from many places in the New Testament, but we pulled them from Acts, from the story that describes the beginning of the church. Jesus rose from the dead and a church is started, his community is formed, and Acts shows what they did at the beginning. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 It describes this group of people. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts gives us some handholds about how the community started up. And nearly every letter after it in the New Testament brings in corrective language to help us understand and remember what the type of community looks like, which is defined by the gospel. Out of this passage, New Life Church pulls five, we call them practices, that every life group does, we, we practice these things, food, fellowship, word, prayer, and mission. We call them practices because we are not naturally good at them, but need to lean into them to make grooves of learning in our hearts and minds. The community of the gospel is an eating and feasting community. Food and drink flows because we know that friendship and relationship happen when meals are enjoyed together. You know this. That's why Peter says, be hospitable. Don't grumble. Fellowship is the sharing of life with one another. Sometimes that is the loving, earnest way through serving and caring and giving. And other times it is the love-covering sin type of way. Word, that's this, right? It's the opening of the Bible, reminding ourselves of the truth of Scripture particularly that, that preach from the Sunday before. So if you're in a life group, you're going to talk about this stuff at your next get-together. And also the pointing to truth, pointing others to truth when we forget or are discouraged. We point back to Scripture. Prayer is the talking to God together and for each other. And mission is the engaging of others who do not know Christ and loving and serving them as representatives of the kingdom in hopes that they embrace the king we love and proclaim and the one we're waiting for. A life group has a weekly meeting, sure, but it is a group of people that are a real pocket of gospel-formed community, the born-again community, the new life community that Peter describes. 
We live life together. We remind ourselves of the gospel. We deal with sin. We love and serve each other. We remind ourselves of King Jesus and his return. We connect to Christ's community because the gospel of Christ is true. Let's pray.